Today we're going to be looking at the first letter to the Corinthians. And the writer of that letter is Paul. And he wrote a few other letters in the New Testament as well. He went around, this guy Paul, and preached the gospel in different places. And people would respond to his message. And then he would also spend time with them, those who've responded, teaching them. And he would also appoint leaders among them. So, in essence, kind of starting churches. And the Corinthian church we write to in this letter is one of those churches. It's a place that he went to, preached the gospel, people responded, and he is writing to them from somewhere else. So that's who they are. Let me give you a little bit of information on Corinth, if you like, or the city of Corinth bit of background. This is the sort of stuff that, you know, I I can say now and people are just sort of just settling in and you'll probably forget it, which is fine because I normally forget this sort of information right at the beginning of a preach. But actually some of it's quite interesting Um, and I'm not a historian, so please don't, you know, think you're going to get anything of revelation here. But the city of Corinth was quite a big city um, in its day. Population probably around 250,000 free people um, and probably about double that in slaves, around maybe 400,000 slaves uh, in that city. So it was a really big place. Um, it was an import-export city. It had two major ports um, at the bottom which allowed it to deliver and move goods really easily. So it was good for that. So quite a rich city. Um, culturally, it was very Greek. So there was a lot of philosophy debating, uh, seeking of wisdom and things like that. Religiously, it was, it probably had about 12 temples in the city. Um, we're not in, well, Paul was there, we don't know exactly how many of those were in use at the time, um, but to 12 different temples to different gods. And probably one of the most notorious was the temple of Aphrodite. Um, and they, in that temple, they practiced uh, religious prostitution, and it's said that at, at some point there was probably about a thousand prostitutes working in that one temple. So it was a, a pretty major temple. And so when we read the letter to the first, the first letter to the Corinthians, it's not a great surprise to see some of the issues that Paul has to deal with in the letter. It, it totally reflects aspects of the culture that they live in, and it, and that they have come from, that they've been saved out of. So it's no surprise in some of the issues that we come across in that letter. And Paul addresses things such as people questioning his apostleship. He addresses sexual immorality, division, lawsuits, all sorts of things that he kind of speaks into in this letter. But the overriding theme, the thing that weaves itself right the way through the whole letter is the focus on Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians. And actually in these verses we don't come across any of the issues that Paul addresses in the letter. Instead what we find is the introduction to the letter. But it is also the context in which the rest of the letter has a feel. So he addresses lots of things but it is always rooted and weaved around the work of Christ. And so these few verses to begin with, very much so focus on what Jesus has done, who he is and what he has done. And to put it simply, and during our worship, I think this, is, this has come through as well, which was really good, is any problem 
any difficulty, any trouble, any sin, misunderstanding, confusion, fear, pain, persecution, the answer to all those things is Jesus, who he is and what he has done. And so we're going to start by reading the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians and then we'll get cracking. So verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, I think, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I tried doing like one of those really clever things in which it suddenly revealed to me is I'm not very good at it, which was looking at all the words that were used in these verses and adding up how many times, you know, Jesus was mentioned and trying to work out like a percentage of the writing that was there and the percentage of which of it is talking about Jesus. Now that would be really interesting to hear, wouldn't it? I got as far as thinking about maybe doing it and then thought, yeah, I can't work out percentages. I'm not going to do it. But there's, <laughs> there's a, I should have asked Ellen, actually. She's a statistician. You know, we're one flesh. I should be good at this, but it's just not going to happen, is it? Um, but I can say that actually in these verses, you can just tell, can't you? So much of it is about Jesus. He mentions Jesus so much. Um, and maybe one day I'll be able to work that sort of stuff out for you. you might get some inf- interesting information. But as we go through these verses, um, I want to just really pick up on three major themes, three major topics or titles if you want. Before we do that, I just want to look at verse 1. And in verse 1 we, we see that, well, in, in all of these verses we see it's a classic way of, of starting a letter. It's, if you read other letters, um, there's, it's very similar in, in terms of its introduction of the writer and who he's writing to and him giving thanks for those people. So it's quite common in that fact. And I said I wasn't going to mention any of the issues that we find in the Corinthian church today, but actually in verse 1 you find maybe a bit of a precursor or setup for Paul wanting to defend or one of the things that he will address later on. He starts by introducing himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus, but he also includes this, this guy Sosthenes and you can find out a little bit more about this guy in in Acts 18 he was a temple leader at the time that um, Paul was in Corinth and it's likely that he was converted while Paul was in Corinth and so later on in the letter Paul will defend his apostleship more so and he's kind of including this guy right at the beginning to bring a little bit of weight to that, that they will know him, they will know this guy, they will know that he was saved from the temple, and he's from Corinth, this guy that he's including. So he starts his letter with this, you know, almost precursor or set up to the defense of his apostleship. But as we carry on, we're going to hit these three topics, if you like. So verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth... To those sanctified in Christ Jesus 
and called to be his holy people. First bit of verse two. So what we learn there is who the letter is addressed to, to the church of God in Corinth, and then what it takes to be called the church of God, which is sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. So sanctified, sanctification is a word, I guess, kind of similar to to saint, but it's to do with holiness. And to sanctify something would be to set it apart for special use. To sanctify a person would be to make them holy. And to be holy is to be perfect without blemish. And the reality is that only God is holy. And you can see that you know, in scripture, it's mentioned a lot of times about God being holy, but 1 Samuel 2.2 says it there. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. So when Paul declares these things over the Corinthian church, as he says, sanctified and God's holy people, he is declaring something over them. He is saying something impossible has happened to you. Because no one in the Corinthian church and no one here can make the claim that they are perfect or holy. No one can make the claim that they can become holy through trying over time, trying to make themselves good, trying to get to that point of, now I can call myself perfect. Nobody can do that. We're by nature evil. We've all rejected God. We have all turned from God and we are separate from him. And you can read all about that in Romans 3. And a very famous verse in Romans 3.23 is, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, none of us can get to his glory, can become like God, can be holy or be near God. We deserve separation from him. We deserve punishment from him for our sin. That's the reality. So when Paul says these things about the church, what's the key? What, is, what has enabled him to say this? Well, it's in the verse, isn't it? <laughs> in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. Jesus is the answer. What he did has made a way for us to come back to God, to be able to be called holy. Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that no one else could live. He was without blemish. He was perfect. And he had a purpose and a plan. And he went about fulfilling that plan on the earth. He was falsely accused. He went to the cross. And on the cross... He was punished by God on our behalf. He willingly went there and took our punishment that we deserve from God, him being the perfect holy sacrifice for us. He took that for us and he died on the cross. He rose three days later and he now is ascended to the right hand of the Father in victory over sin and death. And so... The Corinthian church heard this message. Mine was a very brief message there. Paul probably elaborated on it somewhat. 
But they heard that the only way to be reconciled to God is through Jesus. And they responded to that word. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that's what they did. (laughs) They responded to his message. They had their sins wiped out and times of refreshing had come. But then, continuing on in verse 2, it says this, Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So Paul widens this statement out, not just being about the Corinthian church, but being about all those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are in this room today and you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know him as your saviour, you've given your life to him, I can declare this declaration is true over you. You are sanctified and God's holy people in Christ. It's an amazing statement. It's an impossible statement. It shouldn't be true of us, but it is true of us because of Jesus. You've been made holy in God's sight because you are in Christ Jesus, because of what Jesus has done. And to, to look at it as any less than that would mean that you would still be separate from God. To be anything less than holy and blameless in his sight, you would be separate from God because God's standard is holiness. So when I say that declaration, it is totally and true in its fullness. It's a fact. You are sanctified and God's holy people. It's an amazing truth. Verse 3 says this, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is another reminder of <laughs> amazing truth, really. And it's, it's, it's a little prayer or a little blessing, if you like, that Paul says, speaks, gives over the Corinthian church as he addresses them. And it's really helpful in terms of having the right perspective, The only way to receive peace is through understanding the grace of God. The grace of God being the free gift of salvation. Not earned, not deserved. It's knowing the immense love that God has for us. That is a greater love than any love that you would find on the earth. It it can't be compared to any other love that you would see or experience in the earth. His love for you is totally perfect. It's knowing his mercies, new mercies poured out on you day by day as we fumble through life, making mistakes, learning things, getting things, making, you know, doing things wrong, but God teaching us, helping us. It's knowing the amazing freedom that God has won for us and the fact that we have eternal life with him, the grace of God, all these things that are given by him freely as a gift because of his love. If you reflect and learn about those things, that brings peace. A deep-rooted peace. Because that is the only place for true peace to be found, is in knowing the absolute, amazing, lavish grace of God. And I don't know about you, but at church sometimes people come forward in a response to to pray. Um, You know, hopefully, are asked, put your hand up, until someone comes to pray for you so that we don't miss anybody, uh, which is good. And so there's sometimes that awkward moment where, you know, 
kind of most people have got someone praying with them, but there's been someone stood there now for a couple of minutes, and you think their arm might be getting tired now. They're going to soon get embarrassed, and they're soon going to put their hand down because no one's come to pray for them. And oh, so you think, oh, I'll go and pray for them, which is good, good response to do. Yeah, I want to, I want to be with them, I want to stand with them. But then comes the oh, but I really have no idea what to pray. <laughs> Let me just give you a little encouragement. If you want to bless someone, memorize verse three, and just pray that over them. It's an amazing blessing. It's short, it's simple, and it gets rid of a lot of the waffle that sometimes we end up tripping over when we pray for someone and kind of saying, Lord, I thank you for their hairstyle and that they're a good dresser. You know, but but that actually, we can just know this wonderful truth. Declare, speak over, bless one another with this. I love it. I love that verse three. So just memorize that if you want to know what to pray for people if you're stuck. Okay, second topic, second point is how to live. Now, these next few verses, verse 4, 5, 6, and 7, totally stay rooted in the work of Christ. But in them comes an emphasis on a lifestyle that we can live in that route. I hope that made sense. The emphasis coming from these verses is a way to live, how to live in the light of being in Christ and the gift that he gives. So verse 4, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. So Paul is thanking God for something that has been given to the church by God. And it's another little reminder of the reality of any gift that is from God, which is by grace. <laughs> it is a grace gift, not earned, not deserved. They didn't earn or warrant this. And then he goes on to say what this is in verse 5. For in him you've been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you, therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. So what's been given? Well, it starts very broad, enriched in every way. (laughs) It's quite a, a blessing, quite a broad blessing. Uh, you could say that could cover a number of things. Then it narrows a bit and says, uh, you know, all speech and all knowledge. So reasonably still wide, but more specific in terms of what it's addressing. And on that point, I just want to bring an application directly to you from those speech and knowledge bits. Is Speech without knowledge is in very useful, and knowledge without speech is also not very useful. And so I just want to bring an encouragement to people here. I, I look around this room and I see people, because I grew up in this church, I've been in this church quite a long time, so there are people in this room who I've grown up knowing, uh, you know, specifically men who I've looked up to, because I'm a boy so I look up to men, and I know that there are men in this church whom God has installed and placed knowledge, really good stuff. And I'm scanning the room. I'm trying not to make too much eye contact but because I'll start speaking to you probably. But what I want to encourage is don't have knowledge without speech. That which God has put in you, which is really good, allow that to come out. And, it, and that speech could be in any form. It doesn't mean coming up to the front and saying something on a Sunday morning or whatever. It could just mean going to others with the knowledge that you, you received from God, that gift, and sharing it with people. Please, can I encourage you, keep doing that. It has happened to me lots as I've grown up in the church, and it has been a huge blessing. So, there you go. Don't have one without the other. 
So the gift of grace that Paul is talking about here is, is talking about salvation, but, it's, but I believe it's also talking about uh, the Holy Spirit that's been given. And what's interesting is, is verse 5 and verse 7 are the reaction or the practical side of it in terms of what has been given. And in the middle of those is the purpose for which they have been given. In the middle of those two verses, it says that it's been given to confirm the work of Christ among them. So being enriched in every way, speech and knowledge, you know, all, you know, not lacking in any spiritual gift, verse 7, all of those are included. But right in the middle is the point, is the reason, is the purpose to which those have been given, which is to confirm the testimony of Christ among them. Acts 1, verse 4 and 5, and then verse 8. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, this is Jesus, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So those verses are talking about the Holy Spirit coming to give power to be a witness for Christ, to witness Christ to the ends of the earth. And those things are promises. <laughs> that is Jesus making a promise. And the Corinthian church has received that promise. We hear it, don't we, in those verses. Enriched in every way, given these knowledge, given these speech, all not lacking in any spiritual gift. The purpose of it being to confirm the testimony of Christ among them. Paul goes on in the letter uh, to the Corinthians later on and talks about different spiritual gifts. And in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 24 and 25, he, he's been talking about different gifts and he's, he's specifically talking about uh, prophecy. And he says this, But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So, God is speaking. No, no, it's the telephone. <laughs> so what we're learning here is that I believe that this gift is for us just as much as it is for the Corinthian church, that we can be enriched in every way by the Spirit, that we can know all types of knowledge and speech, that we cannot be lacking in any spiritual gift. I truly believe that. God has given that. But the heart of it, the reason we desire these things, we go for these things, we press into these things, we take hold of these things, we believe these things, is so that the, the, we would confirm that which we say, that which we testify to, that which we witness to. We will confirm it. We preach, speak, say, talk about Jesus. That is our testimony. That is our witness. And we have been given power by the Holy Spirit to confirm that testimony so that hopefully we could have meetings where people come in and we're exercising spiritual gifts and they will have to say, whoa, yeah, God is in this place. People would be convicted of sin. People would know the power of God at work among them as we testify, as we witness to the wonderful work of Jesus. It's powerful. So 
Third point, third stopping place, if you like, is um, we did first one, salvation, second one, how to live, third, security of eternity. <laughs> this is, is quite brief, because then we've got some good time to, to respond. Verse eight, he will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. Jesus is going to return. He's going to come back. And he'll bring everything to completion. It's good practice to remind ourselves of that. <laughs> to remind ourselves that he is going to come back in victory. And it's good practice to remind ourselves that he's going to keep us firm to the end. Because he is faithful. He's called us into fellowship with his son. Now, that is wonderfully true now. But it is also wonderfully true because that speaks into eternity. He has brought us into fellowship with Jesus. Right now, we can know him, speak to him, hear from him. And take strength from that. But we can also remind ourselves that we are being brought into fellowship with his son for all eternity. And nothing can touch that. We are called to wait in eager anticipation of our Lord's return. Because that will help us not waste time. It will help us not become distracted with other things in this earth. So, in summary, the Corinthian church had... Many issues, many problems, things that Paul will go on to address and maybe at some point I might continue in this letter and, and talk about some of those things. We here at City Church also are not perfect. <laughs> we have issues, we have things that God is going to speak to us about and deal with corporately together but also individually. God wants to bring change, he wants to correct people. He wants to heal, he wants to restore, he wants to set free, and so on. And I believe he will. And just like I started today in saying, you know, with a simple statement, I'm going to end with it, is that to see issues change, to see things happen, to see God at work, is not to impart strategy, or method, or counselling necessarily or medicine listen those things are great those things have their place but the answer is Jesus who he is and what he's done so let's pray